Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what is Ireland's vaccination rollout plan? Remember not too long ago when we were talking about if we get a vaccine rather than when? Well, right now we are in a situation where we can ask when we are getting as many as six different vaccines that are nearing approval stage. This week, Ireland published its COVID-19 vaccination rollout plan. Giving vaccinations to every single person living here, that's a mammoth undertaking involving IT systems, a highly trained medical workforce, cold chain delivery and storage, new vaccine centres, and of course, cooperation from the political system and the public itself. How is all of that going to work? We've been looking at the strategy and implementation plans on the journal.ie all week, and back here to give all the details to us is senior reporter Michelle Hennessy. And just at this juncture, I'm going to say we are at the rollout stage, but we're still waiting on the European Medicines Agency to actually approve even one of them. Michelle, what do we know about the timeline for this? And could it be an early Christmas present for Ireland? Well, I mean, just to get into what the EMA's role is, the safety and efficacy of all COVID-19 vaccines that will be used in within the European Union have to be centrally assessed by the EMA for all member states. So that means before we can actually start giving any vaccine to people in Ireland, we need an opinion from the EMA, a positive one, hopefully. Uh, and then after that, the granting of uh, what's known as market authorization by the European Commission. Now, I imagine that that authorization will, will come quite quickly after a positive opinion from the EMA it might even happen on, on the same day because everything is, is being fast tracked in this process. So at the moment, there are two vaccine developers that have submitted their applications to the EMA. That's the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna one. And both of those are mRNA vaccines, which we've talked about before. The Pfizer one was first through the door with their application. Um, and we have been told that the EMA would need to give uh, an opinion on the 29th of December but yesterday we got the good news that this has been moved to the 21st of December so if anyone asked Santa for vaccine approval for Christmas you might actually get your wish um, there is also a meeting to take place by 12th of January um, for a decision on the Moderna one now that date hasn't changed um, when they made the announcement about moving the date for, for the Pfizer one they said that, that nothing's shifted with that but I mean, who knows what will happen in the new year, whether there, there might be some kind of movement with that. Other countries, Michelle, are a little bit further on in the process because they've already approved the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Which ones are they and what's happening in them? Britain, Canada, the US and, and Singapore, which is the first in Asia, have granted approval for the vaccine to be used. I mean, I think it, it was that kind of positive news that everybody needed. And last week, watching 91 year old Margaret Keenan, who was the first person in the UK to receive the Pfizer vaccine, it, you know, it, it was really just amazing for people. And it's great coming to the end of what was such a difficult year for everyone to have that positive news. And we all know that, you know, it's going to take a while for us to you know fully roll it out and and for for people like like you and me who are you know relatively healthy people to actually get the vaccine um but what we know so far you know it from the rollout in those countries is that it seems to be going well um we only had the two adverse effects in England and people will be familiar with the, the two nurses um, who had an allergic reaction. But it's important to note that those two nurses uh, had previous issues with severe allergies. And what I've heard from experts in the last week is that it's actually you know a good sign that 
Um, first of all, it was transparent. We heard about it straight away, but also that uh, systems were put in place very quickly afterwards and new advice was issued almost immediately and um, that, that people in that similar situation shouldn't be given the vaccine. So it's all you know, good indications so far, positive heading into 2021. Yeah, and one of the things Neffet has has been doing in the last week is measuring hope. So they have been looking at, you know, surveying the public's emotional well-being over the last while, and they added hope as an indicator in the in the last week, which I think is really interesting, because we have formulated a plan. So even though we don't have that approval yet, we are ready for it, or we're making tracks to be ready for it. Uh, can you tell us who's behind that plan? Sure. So the government put together a high level task force on COVID-19 vaccination, and this task force was responsible for working through all of those logistical and administrative issues with the vaccine that we've been hearing about in recent months. The task force is chaired by Professor Breen McCraw, and it's made up of senior representatives from the Department of Health, including the CMO at the HSE. So uh, their CEO, Paul Reid, is a member um, and then also the Government Procurement Office, IDA Ireland, the Department of the Taoiseach, the Chief Information Officer and, and so on. All of the, the kind of departments um, where there's an interest or a responsibility for a different part of the plan. Yeah. So can you give us an overview of, of the main elements of the plan that they announced this week? So what they looked at um, was everything from how the vaccine will get here, how it will be stored and transported, uh, to where it will be administered, who will get it first and in what order, and then also how the efficacy and any side effects will be tracked. So, I mean, I think the, the one of the first big questions uh, was who will get it first? Um, and I might just start with that. The focus um, at the start of the, the vaccination programme will be on adults over the age of 65 who are residents of long-term care facilities, so uh, nursing homes and other care facilities. And then also frontline healthcare workers who are in direct patient contact roles. That'll include the people who are administering the vaccines. So those age 70 and older will be next, starting with the over 85s. I won't go through the entire list because it's quite long, but I might just go through the first few. Following the the, uh, over 70s, the other healthcare workers who are not in direct patient contact, they'll be next. Then those aged 65 to 69, people within that group who have medical conditions that put them at high risk, they'll be prioritised. After that, key workers. Now, we have yet to get a definition or a list of those key workers. Um, So the the government has said, I mean, it even says in the plan, basically, that further information has to be released on that. So I don't know if they actually have that list yet. Um, Following that, those age 18 to 64 with medical conditions that put them at high risk. And after that, residents of long-term care facilities. There are seven other groups after that with children and pregnant women at the bottom of the list. Yeah, but we don't have an exact timeline, right? Because we can't, because we don't even have approval yet. And we don't know what dates approval, never mind when these vaccines will be delivered. Yeah, I mean, we saw in the UK that from approval to administering the vaccines, I mean, that that actually happened a lot more quickly than I think any of us were expecting. Um, You know, it was a rare good surprise in in 2020. Um, But what they did say to us yesterday was that it is going to take time before we have a large number of of doses. So even if, um, you know, best case scenario, we had approval on the 21st from the EMA and Pfizer managed to to deliver uh, some doses to us the following day and we were in a position, everything was set up, that we were able to start giving it to people, it would still be in very, very small numbers. We're not going to see any kind of large uh, mass ramp up of the vaccination programme until well into 2021. And do we know, you mentioned there about who will be administering the vaccine and what people are being tasked with that job? 
So all of the vaccinators will be qualified and registered healthcare professionals, uh, which I, I think is, you know, is important that it's going to be people that you can trust to give it to you. People who uh, have done this before, who are familiar with it, who know what they're doing. <clears throat> so this will include um, medical and, and nursing staff in the acute hospital system, also the community healthcare system as well as medical and nursing staff in private hospitals and healthcare facilities. Of course, GPs will be a big part of, of this rollout as they are with the flu vaccine. And then we might also see um, pharmacists brought in. Now, they might need licensing for this, but you know that's something that would just be a kind of a, an administrative step that would have to happen down the line. As more doses of the vaccine become available during 2021, the government has said in, in its plans that uh, there will be a need to expand the pool of the workforce to administer the vaccine and deliver the programme because we want to be doing it quickly and we want to be doing it in large numbers. So they're looking at a number of options and this includes what's being done in other jurisdictions such as licensing uh, recently retired healthcare professionals uh, and maintaining registration in, in the case of others. Yeah, and part of that massive ramp up is going to mean that we need to be able to go somewhere else rather than just a pharmacy or a GP's office, because that would take a while, as we all know, if you try and get into a GP. Um, we've heard mass vaccination centres will be set up. What can we expect from these? Where will they be? Um, and what will they work? How will they work? Right. So what I will say is that in the initial rollout phase, uh, so in early 2021, which is when we're hoping that this will start or, you know, possibly, very possibly by the end of this year, but realistically at the start of 2021, that initial phase, the vaccine is going to be administered in long term healthcare facilities first. We're talking about nursing homes uh, and also large scale healthcare sites that will be for healthcare workers. So this will be in hospitals, community nursing units. Uh, and that's also where um, the vaccines will end up from storage. Once they get into the country, they go to storage. Then from storage, they go to these uh, large scale healthcare sites. And from there, the, the individual um, packages of doses, let's call it that, will be brought to the nursing homes. And that's where it'll take place. First of all, they won't be expecting nursing home residents to, to line up uh, or, you know, turn up in, in buses at mass vaccination sites. That wouldn't be realistic. So they'll be they'll be bringing it to them. But once we reach the ramp up phase, uh, when, you know, people like you and I will be getting it, when large numbers begin to receive the vaccine, it will have to be done in mass vaccination centres, as well as GPs and, and possibly uh, pharmacies as well. So two examples of the mass vaccination centres given in the plan, both in Dublin, our City West and the National Exhibition Centre. But uh, Professor McCraw said yesterday, he, again, he's the chair of the task force. He said discussions had taken place with a number of third level institutions about using their campuses to develop uh, mass vaccination centres. Uh, and that would actually be quite a, a good way of doing it regionally as well. And um, because, you know, it, big spaces uh, and we have third level institutions all across the country and um, so he said the HSE is working on that idea. Yeah because obviously there'd be expertise as well within science and medical skills across our universities. Um, you mentioned there about the storage and the transport because one of the things we know about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is that it has to be stored at minus 70 degrees Celsius. Was there much talk in the plan about that cold chain that's required and how will it work? Yeah, and you know, th this is something that is a big part of, of, you know, the logistical side of it, really, you know, how does it get here? Where is it stored? How do we manage deliveries? And, you know, it, it might seem, um, 
you know, a, a kind of a, a simple thing, but it, I'd say that it, it's actually going to be quite complicated uh, to, you know, to, to make all of this happen. That is part of the plan. And um, what we know is that the manufacturers will, will deliver straight to central storage. So if we take the Pfizer one, because that's probably the first one that we're going to get, it requires ultra cold temperatures. Now, Pfizer will handle the delivery from uh, its manufacturing site in Belgium to our central storage. So one of the questions that was asked at the press conference uh, in relation to the plan was you know will we have to meet them at the airport and, and pick it up which is a good question and um, but that that's not the case they will basically manage straight from belgium manufacturing site into our own central storage we have a number of ultra low temperature freezers that were recently purchased and there also um, was already some ultra cold temperature capacity at city west it'll be stored in, in those ultra cold freezers and then from there it'll be transported to large-scale healthcare sites and like i said earlier from there those doses will go to the long-term uh, care facilities like nursing homes. Now, the minus 70, I was talking to a cold chain expert recently. Um, I never thought that I'd say that, but <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. Here we are, uh, it, the, the conversations we have in, in 2020. Um, and, it, you know, he was telling me that the, the minus 70 is important for storage, but you do have a five-day window where uh, you, you can basically allow it to thaw. It has to thaw before it goes goes into a human person anyway. I mean, you, you can't inject a substance that's at minus 70 in, into a person. What happens is it, it has a five-day window where it can be transported in sort of regular cold chain trucks that, that don't have to be, you know, that, that are basically sort of like your fridge at home. And they can also be stored during that period of five days in a regular fridge, which you would have in a, a GP's office, which would be where they would store their flu vaccines. Uh, pharmacies would also have these regular fridges. I mean, you could technically store them in your fridge at home. So, I mean, that, that's positive that we know that we, we have that five day time frame. And it also opens up the options for where it could be administered. So the the, the plan yesterday said that the fleet, um, this will be the, the trucks that, that transported around operate to a very high specification with full GPS monitoring, remote temperature monitoring and redundancy on uh, the cooling system on the vehicle, which basically means that, that there's a backup. And there'll also have to be backups in terms of the, the ultra cold storage. The, the expert I spoke to recently said that you basically have to have an empty fridge uh, or an empty freezer next to the one that you have all, all of the doses in, because if that fails, you need to be able to move it immediately. Uh, you also need things like backup generators. So, I mean, this is a really high scale logistical operation that they'll have to run. You mentioned there about being able to keep the vaccine in a normal fridge for five days, but obviously it has to be used in that time. It can't go back into the freezer, as we know, most things shouldn't be frozen again. So organizing the storage and transport of this particular vaccine is a huge task. But what most people will want to know is the basics for themselves. So what's it like when I'll go and get the vaccine? Can you talk us through what an appointment might look like in the coming months? When you go to get it or when you are going to get it, you'll be uh, invited, basically. So presumably you'll get some kind of a notification and um, you might get a letter or something like that on the door to, to say that, that it's your return. Or maybe there'll, there'll be an announcement. We're not quite sure exactly how you'll be invited to get one. Um, but but <clears throat> it might be the case that there'll be, you know, government announcement that now it's this group's turn. So you, you can then... Um, go on to their new IT system that is being set up. You will register your details, your sort of basic details, uh, and you'll be given an appointment, a time and date, and one of those locations. So it could be one of these new mass vaccination centers that we've been hearing about. Then um, when you go along on your day to the appointment, uh, you will 
arrive, they'll take your details. And then when you go in to, to your the person giving you the vaccine, you'll sit down again, confirm some of your details. They'll go through things um, like consent with you and, you know, go through possible side effects, things like that. And then obviously they'll administer the vaccine. After you have the vaccine, you'll be told to wait outside, um, presumably in some kind of a waiting area for about 15 minutes, and you'll be monitored just to see if there are any immediate side effects. Because what we know about vaccines from our experience with other vaccines is that the majority of side effects or after effects are immediate and they're within, you know, the first few minutes afterwards or, you know, even the first couple of days afterwards. And the most common ones would be, you know, redness, um, if it's given in the arm, redness on the arm, maybe a little bit of soreness at the point. And with some vaccines, you can have things like fever, um, more minor side effects like that. So that, that's the kind of thing that they'll be looking out for. And there will be healthcare professionals monitoring people after they've had the vaccine just to keep an eye on people to make sure that they're okay afterwards and then um is in the more longer term obviously with the Pfizer vaccine because it's two doses uh you will be notified to come back for your your second appointment uh and also in terms of of monitoring side effects um the health products regulatory authority which is our um our health products re- regulator they'll be asking doctors and indeed patients themselves or people who receive the vaccine to let them know of any kind of adverse effects afterwards and this is something that's going to be monitored across the european union and there's a, a sort of a linked up system for that so all of that you know w- will come afterwards but that's basically how, how the process will work do we know, you mentioned there about registration, do we know yet what data will be required from people? Yes, it, it, there's a new IT system which is at the heart of this plan. Um, and we were told yesterday that IBM and Salesforce have been tasked with creating this system and, and that'll allow for the planning and the scheduling of the vaccines. Uh, it'll monitor the success and the effectiveness. Um, in terms of exactly what data you'll have to provide we don't know yet because they are in the process of creating that system so you know nobody can today if by some miracle we were able to get the Pfizer vaccine today nobody could actually log on to any system and and make their booking yet because it it doesn't exist but the HSC said it's liaising with the data protection commissioner uh, on this matter um, and how it'll impact on personal data and people's privacy and confidentiality. We did hear from Paul Reed, CEO of the HSE recently, that the conversations that they'd had with the Data Protection Commissioner's Office had been quite positive. And um, so, you know, that, that's a good indicator, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see what exact information will be collected from people. We did hear when they uh, announced the plan as part of the discussion around the plan uh, about individual health identifiers. So this is a number that identifies each person within the public and private healthcare sector. It's a unique number, and this is different from your PPSN. And these were first proposed by the government in 2015. And patient safety is cited as the, the sort of key advantage. Um, HICWA has said being able to identify each user uniquely will improve patient safety because it reduces the number of adverse events that may happen. Um, such as giving the patient incorrect medication or vaccinations in this case, or admitting the wrong person for surgery. Uh, and th- this will allow for the electronic re- recording of every individual vaccine. Now, no medical information is stored on the health identifier record, um, but the plan said this is instead used by health service providers when they're communicating on your behalf. 
Although there's still quite a few gaps in our knowledge, we have a fair idea of what an appointment will look like when we're all being vaccinated. But do we know how many people will go through this process in the coming weeks, say by the end of January? Yeah, I'd love to be able to say yes, <laughs> um, but, but the answer is we're not really sure. I mean, I know there have been reports of um, 5,000 people could be vaccinated by the end of the year, but Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly has said that no figures were discussed at any of the meetings that he had with task force members. And it's just too hard to say. And the reason for that is it really depends on how many doses of the vaccine we get. I mean, first of all, we have to get, let's not get ahead of ourselves, we have to get to the point of approval first by the EMA. And then, you know, there's a, the, the wider doses, basically, that uh, is part of the agreement between the European Commission and, in this case, Pfizer, if we're talking about the what's probably going to be the first vaccine. Uh, you know, they have an overall pool of doses. We get a certain proportion of that. But everybody in Europe, once we get to approval stage, is going to want to get as many doses as they possibly can. And we probably will, this is what uh, we heard from health officials when they announced the plan, we probably will be waiting a while before we have very large numbers. So, you know, even when it starts to roll out, whether that's at the end of this year or at the beginning of 2021, it'll be in small numbers. And do we know, this is obviously probably going to be a no again, but if you're someone listening to this who doesn't fall into a priority group because of their age or their profession or their health, when would they expect to be vaccinated? Again, it, this is going to depend. I mean, you're right. We can't say exactly when, but we do know that we've heard from the government that, you know, sort of May, June might be the time when they've gone through some of the more immediate priority groups uh, and then it, it starts to that sort of mass vaccination program that we talked about earlier involving um you know the the big centers uh, people booking their appointments going in for for their own uh, appointments that's the kind of thing that we're probably going to have to wait until the summer to see and you know i i think that that's disappointing for people i i think even from talking to my own friends and family they were expecting, you know, once the vaccines rolled it in January, we'll all be done by spring and, you know, we have having big summer barbecues and heading off on our holidays in the summer. Uh, I, I think that that's probably not realistic. Um, but if we're to take positives out of it, you know, it looks like we are going to have at least one effective, safe vaccine in 2021. And, you know, that's a really good position for us to be in going into the new year. So if it is the summer, more than likely we mightn't even get the Pfizer-BioNTech one. It might be something else that that cohort receives in the summer. Yeah, that's right. So the European Commission um, has advanced purchase agreements with six different vaccine developers. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna, which we've already been talking about, are, are just two of those. Now, they're the only two that have, have got to that end point of submitting their applications for authorization. Uh, and the EMA has been um, looking at their, their final data. And uh, we know that 21st of December is when we should get an opinion on the Pfizer vaccine. But as we come into the new year, uh, some of those other four um, should have their, you know, more of their data, their trial to be complete. And, and if they submit their applications, you know, early next year, we're expecting um, AstraZeneca, that, that's one of them. They may have their application ready in January. Uh, the CureVac one, uh, we, we may see their application and approval in February. Um, so, you know, that's all positive. If, if we had four by the end of January or early February next year, that puts us in, in a good position to sort of bring that timeline forward, actually. Um, uh, the more vaccines we have available, the more doses there are available, the faster we can get through the rest of the population. 
yeah, and hopefully at that stage, we'll see some semblance of normality resume. Um, but as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, the success of the vaccine does rely a lot on the public's cooperation and its faith in the vaccine and the rollout. What type of information campaigns are the task force planning around um, the safety of the vaccine and indeed the rollout itself? Yeah, you're right. I mean, communication is going to be really key with this. And we, we've seen some examples in the past where communication they haven't got it quite right and that has really impacted uh, on people's confidence in the advice and in the guidance being given by the government uh, and and you know potentially people's adherence to the restrictions so this will be you know a key part it'll have to be clear communication all the way it'll also have to be transparent because people have understandable concerns uh, about you know vaccinations that have been developed so much more quickly than they normally would be uh, and you know people want to know is it effective is it safe for me to take uh, when we get if we get to vaccinating children obviously they're at the bottom of the list uh, and at the moment it wouldn't be recommended because there isn't enough data but if we get to that point people will want to know is it safe for my children so it, the first part of of their plan in terms of communication is obviously preparing for the vaccine and, you know, engaging with people who have those genuine hesitancies around the vaccine and um, communicating this plan to people uh, and, you know, also talking about the results of the clinical trials when they become available. And, and then the next phase uh, in the execution of the vaccine, when, when they're sort of doing that, um, that rollout that we've been talking about will be national local communication from medics encouraging people to get the vaccine. So people that people trust and they'll be encouraging the public to get the vaccine. Uh, and there'll also be information on who will admi administer it, some of the things that we've already talked about and where. And they'll also be working to identify people to act as ambassadors for the vaccine. Again, people that are trusted by members of the public uh, who, you know, potentially will go and publicly get the vaccine or talk about getting it uh, and then talk about some of the information around of it. They're really trying to, to build confidence. So we'll also hear from public health doctors who will address misinformation, which appears on social media and uh, across the web, and they'll be pointing people to trusted sources of information. Uh, I mean, misinformation has really been huge over the last year and you know at the journal that obviously we've been trying to address as much of it as we possibly can and um, so i mean from our point of view it's actually really positive to hear that that's part of their approach because we as publishers want to be able to get access to public health doctors so that we ourselves can address some of that misinformation uh, that that's appearing on social media um and you know that the sort of the first phase of this has already begun we've had uh, doctors encouraging people um to go out and and find the information themselves in, in sources that they can trust uh, to go and read about it i mean a lot of the information uh, the data even from from the trials from some of the vaccines is out there for pe for people to read uh, themselves and i mean that that's really what they'll be encouraging people to do knowledge is power as they say and you know if, if people do have genuine concerns about whether it'll work whether it's safe um that that's the thing to do is to go and educate yourself about it but for people who have very specific concerns in relation to medications they're taking or if they're in, in a high risk group they have a, a particular illness or condition that they're worried could uh, you know interact badly with the vaccine go to your doctor uh, and talk to them about it and um, you know medics doctors all across the, the country will be eager to engage with people about this and, and answer questions that they have because they, at the end of the day they want people to get this vaccine but they also want people to be safe
And for also people to feel safe, Dr. Tony Holohan said that we'd be bored of the amount of information we'll be getting about that vaccine. And I'm sure us and member, other members of the media will be holding him to that. Um, Michelle, thanks so much for coming into The Explainer and giving us all of those details today. Thanks, Nate. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Michelle for all of her work on this episode. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's been a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the pandemic, but we are and want to keep providing you with valuable, accessible journalism. Lots of you have felt it is important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast and have supported us in recent months. A lot of you have asked if there was a way you could give more regularly and we now have options for you to become a regular contributor and if this is something you'd like to do please head to thejournal.e forward slash contribute. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and more importantly share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.